Uh, you don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to think with me for a moment. Think about uh, what was the first sporting event you ever attended? Don't have to say it out loud, but just think about what was the first time, the first sporting event you ever attended? Uh, to no one's surprise here, I love hockey, right? But I'll, I'll never forget the first hockey game my dad took me and my brothers to. And, and you know why the reason I'll never forget it is because for those first two periods, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I was completely lost. Guys are jumping over the boards. They're blowing the whistle. The puck's going here. The puck's going there. I, I, I couldn't make sense of it. I had no idea what it is I was actually watching. And what I, what I actually needed, and thankfully my dad was there to write it, what I needed as I was watching this is I needed someone to explain to me and to make sense of what it was that was taking place right in front of me. I needed someone to explain to me offsides. I needed someone to explain to me line changes. I needed someone to help me make sense of this, this event that was taking place right in front of me. In fact, uh, it, it wasn't until I attended several more hockey games. I actually needed to watch about a couple more hockey games after that first one before I really understood the game of hockey. And now, I try to work in hockey illustrations as much as I possibly can. Uh, this morning, we have the joy of witnessing two baptisms. This is a great day in the life of our church. But before that takes place, I want us all to know what it is we are actually witnessing with these baptisms. Because like me in that very first hockey game my dad ever took me to, people can often get confused as to what is actually taking place. So this morning, here's the question I want us to ask and hopefully answer, and that is, what is baptism? What is baptism? This is the, the question I want us to consider this morning. And to start, I want to begin with a riddle, okay? Who doesn't like a good riddle, right? And tell me, feel free to answer if you know the answer to this riddle. Tell me, uh, what do unicorns, leprechauns, pots of gold at the end of a rainbow, trees that grow money, and a self-cleaning house all have in common? <laughs> they don't exist. They're not real, right? Look, uh, sorry, some kids, but there's no such thing as unicorns. There's no such thing as a tree that grows money. And as much as Lucky Charms tries to convince my kids every morning, there's no such thing as leprechauns. These things, they don't exist. In the Bible, you know what doesn't exist? A Christian who is not baptized. The pattern of Scripture, the pattern of the Bible, especially the New Testament, is a person 
repents of their sin, trusts in Christ, and then is baptized. Nowhere in the Bible do we see a person place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they wait an extended period of time, sometimes years upon years, decades, before being baptized. No, the pattern we see in Scripture is they repent of their sin, they trust in Christ, and then they are baptized. And you know why that is? It's because, friend, according to Scripture, baptism is the sign that you belong to the new covenant. Baptism is the sign that you belong to the new covenant. This, I want to suggest, is the main overarching point, rather it is the overarching point, that I want us all this morning to understand. To answer the question, what is baptism? Well, biblically speaking, baptism is a sign, a very important sign. For baptism, this, this act that's about to take place here in a couple of moments, this act signifies that a person is part of the new covenant through faith in Christ alone. Now, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but covenants, many covenants, often have signs associated with them. Did you know this? Take, for example, if I can get it off, da, 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 a wedding ring. This, this is not going to be a hard question, but it's going to be a question nonetheless. Tell me, does a wedding ring make a person married? No. Rather, what does a ring do? It signifies that a person is in a covenant relationship with his or her spouse. It's a symbol. It, it's a sign of a covenant. And, and we see... That, so covenants often have signs associated with them, and we see this illustrated throughout the pages of Scripture. I mean, consider how the Bible... One way to describe the Bible is that the Bible is the story of God's one plan of salvation as it unfolds across, please hear me, multiple covenants, covenants that often have signs. So, um, tell me, what do we quickly learn in Genesis 3, right? We get no more than three chapters into the Bible, and we, hear, we learn some very bad news, right? We learn that we all all of humanity, we all need salvation because we're sinners, right? And in Adam, we all are guilty and condemned to death and judgment. We are spiritually dead and alienated from God. So how does God save us from our sin? Well, God saves us by making and keeping covenant promises, covenants that often have signs. Think of Noah and the flood. After the flood, God promised never to judge the earth like that until the end of the age. God made a covenant. And what was the sign? A rainbow. Consider the covenant God makes with Abraham. What did God promise Abraham? He promised that he would save people through his family. And tell me, what was the covenant sign that a person belonged to God's family? It was what? Circumcision, right? Then consider what we read in Exodus. 
In the book of Exodus, the Passover meal was a sign of Israel's renewal. It was meant to remind Israel of how the Lord delivered them from slavery. Indeed, the Passover event marked Israel's birth as a nation, didn't it? Israel was to be a nation ordered by God's law covenant given to them at Sinai. And so these covenants, the covenants in the Old Testament, they often have signs. There's, There's a lot more we can say about the covenants, but right now I just want you to understand this. The covenants often have signs, and these covenants progressively build off one another. Yet as we read the Old Testament, we soon discover that there's a problem with these covenants. You know what that is? They can't change the human heart. Right? Their repeated sacrifices couldn't deal finally with sin. Indeed, their tablets couldn't make a person worship God. I mean, consider the covenant God made with Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. God made this covenant, here's what you're to do. And yet, as we read the Old Testament... Israel rebelled against God. They broke his covenant. And what I want you to understand, Faith, that is in many ways the old covenant was never really ultimately meant to deal with our sin, our complete sin. Rather, it was intended to prepare us for something new, a new covenant. And the prophet Jeremiah spoke of this new covenant. Listen to what he writes. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will make a what? New covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. And then he says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to what this new covenant is going to bring. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And then listen to this last line. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You see, this new covenant is the answer to how God will fully restore our relationship with him. It's God's solution to our sin problem. For notice what God promises to do. Notice God will give us a new heart. Not only that, he will establish a new relationship with us where we will know him. And most significantly, this new covenant, it comes with a new sacrifice. For what does God say at the very end there? He says, he promises complete forgiveness. And faith, and what the New Testament screams is that this new covenant comes through the person and work of God's one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, this is why we need Jesus. It's only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that one is given everything promised in the new covenant. So what's the sign 
that a person is part of the new covenant through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what's the sign? Baptism. Baptism is the sign that lets everyone know you've received salvation in Jesus Christ by faith. This is why there's no such thing in the New Testament as a Christian who's not baptized. If God has saved you, if he has regenerated you by his spirit, Jesus commands you to be baptized. And what I want you to see is that there's a newness to the new covenant. Consider this for a moment. Consider how in the Old Testament, Israel was a mixed entity. What we mean by that, it was a community comprised of, of those who believed and those who didn't. Though they all received the same sign of circumcision, to use Paul's language in Romans 9, not all Israel was Israel. Some were believers, some were not. You consider what Paul teaches in Romans 2.29. In Romans 2.29, Paul teaches that through the work of the Holy Spirit, believers receive a circumcision of the heart. You see, circumcision and baptism are both covenant signs, but baptism is the sign of a new and better covenant. Circumcision pointed to the need of spiritual heart surgery. Baptism pictures the accomplishment of that surgery through our faith in Jesus Christ. This is why the new covenant community is a regenerate community. It's not a mixed community of like Israel of old, believers and unbelievers. No, if you're, if you're in the new covenant, you are saved. And this is why we baptize believers only. Because you see, there's, there's two mistakes. I mean, there's, there can be a lot of mistakes, but there's two, I would suggest, common mistakes people make when it comes to understanding baptism, right? I made some mistakes understanding the game of hockey as I was watching it unfold. There's some common mistakes people make when they watch and witness baptism. The first mistake is that people think baptism saves a person, that's not true because remember, baptism is a what? Sign, right? Scripture clearly teaches that sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I want to make sure we're really clear on this. The Bible teaches that sinful people are made right with God simply by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, remember what we learned in Ephesians 2. Paul writes this, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God and not a result of works so no one may boast. Please hear me. Baptism doesn't save a person. Jesus does. Amen? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. The second mistake people make in regards to baptism is that they think they have to have their life all put together and all put together and living rightly so they can be baptized. But that's not what we see in the Bible. And, and this is for you, Steve. You see, in Scripture, baptism is not the finish line of the Christian race. It's the starting line. It's, it's a runner's illustration. He keeps chiding me about having runner's illustration. So here you go. Okay? 
It's not the finish line, it's the starting line. What I mean is baptism is not the certificate verifying that you've persevered as a Christian. No, baptism is the starting point of the Christian race. It's where you get your runner's bib, right? To identify that you're on team Jesus and that you follow him. Indeed, this morning, I I want you to see how the act of baptism powerfully displays three gospel truths that are needed for a Christian to live a faithful life unto the Lord. I want to show you three important truths that the sign of baptism signifies and illustrates. And I, and I want us to really sear these truths into our minds. So baptism is the sign you belong to the new covenant. So what does the sign of baptism portray? Three truths, and the first is this. In baptism, you want to know what we're watching? Number one, what we're viewing is a funeral Baptism signifies a funeral. Um, The sports world lost some really significant athletes uh, this year. In January, NHL Hall of Famer and legendary Chicago Blackhawk Bobby Hall died. In May of this year, Hall of Fame running back Jim Brown passed away. Did you know this? Now imagine if in the announcement of, say, Jim Brown's death, this Hall of Fame running back, imagine if in the announcement of his death there was no mention of a funeral service. Instead of laying Jim Brown's body in a cemetery, imagine if the family just left him where he died. And they didn't do this for a few days. They did this for years. In fact, Imagine if they waited like 15 years before they had the funeral after he died. Would that seem odd to you? I I hope so. The Bible teaches that when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, their old sinful self, the one that was enslaved and in bondage due to sin, that old self has died. It was crucified with Christ. If you are a Christian, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your old sinful nature has died. It's been crucified with the Lord. So, if your old sinful nature dies at the moment of conversion, then when does the funeral take place? You know what the answer is? Baptism. This, I want to suggest, is what Paul is getting at in Romans 6. Listen to what he says. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You understand, it's through the waters of baptism, the old nature, the nature that's been crucified with Christ, it's finally laid to rest. We could say it's the funeral service. For what takes place in baptism, as you're about to see in a couple moments here, 
the person is lowered down into the water, symbolizing the death of the old sinful nature. And then because the person being baptized is united with Christ by faith, they come up out of the water, symbolizing a resurrection and a new way of living. This is why we can say that baptism is a funeral of sorts, declaring that that sin is no longer the master of the one being baptized. Indeed, as as Paul says there in verse 7, the one who has died has been set free from sin. So you know what this means, Christian? No, this means baptized Christian. It means because of Christ, please hear me, you do not have to sin. Do you know this? You know why? Because sin is no longer your master. Sam and Amanda, those who are being baptized. I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to promise you, there will be moments in your life, all Christians, there are going to be moments in our life where you're going to feel like the temptation to sin is so great that there's nothing you can do but give in to it. That's not true. In those moments, remember your baptism. Remember, Sam and Amanda, this moment, because this moment is the declaration that sin is no longer your master. Sin has been laid to rest. It's six feet under. Baptism represents the funeral of your sin nature. Now, to be sure, we still have indwelling sin that we have to fight, but that old nature that has been crucified with Christ, it's finally laid to rest. And so all Christians here, baptized Christians, when sin comes crouching at your door, you can, by God's grace, say no. And furthermore, because God has graciously given all believers His Holy Spirit, you now have the power to fight sin and temptation. Baptism has been given by God so you would not only know but also believe that you're dead to sin. But then second... Baptism represents and symbolizes a power wash. How many of you like the beach? I don't. (laughs) Even though I grew up in Southern California, and you know why? And I, I think I might have mentioned this once before, because here's the thing about going to the beach. The moment you just get one toe in the sand... Your whole body's covered with sand, right? Amen? Amen, Sora? So, um, it literally gets everywhere in your body. And I, I once swam at a pool just like this that was right next to the beach. And after getting in the sand and sand getting all over, I then went and I stood under that waterfall in the pool. And oh, it felt so good. As it just poured upon me, I could feel the icky sand (laughs) leaving my body, right? It was glorious. It was like getting a power wash. Well, Christian, when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too get a power wash. However, it's not with pool water. Hear me, it's with the blood of Christ. In Christ, all your sins are forgiven. 
And the act of baptism, being washed in water, is intended to remind you of this reality. I mean, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Full stop. And then here's the next verse. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? Uh, in Revelation 12, 10, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And you know why that is? It's because Satan loves to make Christians feel guilty by reminding them of their past sins. That their sin is what defines them. But Christian, hear what this passage is saying. In Christ, you have been washed clean of all your sin. And there will come moments in your life, friend, when Satan will tempt you to despair, reminding you of the sin within. But please listen to me. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you're not defined by your sin. Amen? Because in Christ, you've been washed clean, completely, far greater than that waterfall. And baptism is a physical reminder that like me and that waterfall, Christ has taken away something far greater than sand, though praise him for that. It's taken away our sin. This is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 6. These Christians, I mean, let's go back. This way? Yeah. Consider this. These Christians, look at what they were. Look at who they once were. But not anymore. That's not what defines them. No. They were washed clean. Then finally, the third thing baptism represents, and I've mentioned this already, is I want to suggest it's a starting line. It's a starting line. Look once more at what Paul says there in Romans 6 have on the screen. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, listen to this, we too might walk in newness of life. The, the two most common questions I get before I baptize a person, uh, number one is often, how cold is the water going to be? <laughs> and the second question is, uh, how long are you going to hold me underneath the water? And I typically respond by saying, well, how sinful have you been? <laughs> uh, no, the, but the answer is not very long. And you know Why? Because the most significant part of baptism is when the person comes up out of the water. Like Christ, the believer has been raised to new life. The old has gone, the new has come. 
in Christ, the Christian is a new creation. But I want you to notice the purpose of this spiritual resurrection, which points to the future physical resurrection. Look at that final phrase. And I have, okay, it's still up there. Look at that final phrase. It's so that we would walk what? In newness of life. The idea being, as those who have been made new in Christ, we would live differently. Namely, we'd live for Christ. So, if I could just speak a moment to Sam and Amanda, this is the time when you go public with your profession of faith, right? To use the runner's analogy, this is the time when you get your runner's bib. You're on Team Jesus. You're part of the new covenant. And Sam and Amanda, and this is actually... to all Christians, please hear me. God has not redeemed you so that you would go back to your old sinful ways. Remember, that has been laid to rest. You are washed clean. Heed these words. God has redeemed you so you would walk in a different way in newness of life. And as, as we walk in newness of life, there's we need to know that this Christian race, it's hard. The Bible says that through many trials and tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. But Sam and Amanda, as you run this race, I want you to know that you're not alone. For baptism is also the time when we as a church, we come alongside you and we say to you, yes, Sam and Amanda, we affirm that you belong to Jesus, you belong to the new covenant, and we're here to help you run the Christian life well. We want you to succeed. This is why, faith, baptism is never a private matter. No, it always takes place within the context of the local church. For in baptism, we as a church, we're affirming your profession of faith. And we're here to cheer you on as you run this race. And I want to encourage you and, and the rest of us, often that, you know, you know the greatest challenge, arguably one of the greatest challenges we face when running this race? It's to love the world. Listen to First John when he writes this. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So Sam and Amanda in Faith Community Church Do not love the world. Don't love the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But you know what will never pass away, Christian? God's love, his covenantal love for you. And let baptism remind you that you have that love in Christ. God's commands are for your good. Don't ever doubt or believe that. Amen? Let's pray.